Well, good evening. Good evening. Good afternoon. I love that oh, story. My. Yeah. It's because this place feels dark except for all the lights that are on yeah, us. Yeah, and also, uh, my name's Danny, and I am the community life pastor over at Mosaic at WW. And our gatherings are 8 o'clock at night, which means that, that good it. evening is my default. So, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it is great to be together today uh, as we enter in in our lunch hour space as we continue our journey into the Enneagram. Good to be with you guys. Super psyched about today. Awesome. Well, Renaud, I was hoping that you could just start us off with a quick recap of where have we gone so far on our journey within the Enneagram last week? Yeah, so as you guys may remember, if you were here last week or if you had a chance to watch it afterwards, if you couldn't join us last week, we're kind of taking a couple of weeks just to walk through this incredible tool that we've discovered that is the Enneagram. Uh, the Enneagram last week we kind of discovered is essentially, in its essence, a personality test. It just happens to be the oldest personality test that we uh, are aware of or have available to us. Um, we talked a fair amount last week about uh, just kind of the uniqueness of this test insofar as its ability to go beyond simply the uh, behavioral space or the psychological mm. space. It's not primarily or exclusively a psychological test, um, but it also isn't just a self-help tool. You know, know who you are and feel good about yourself. Uh, it has a unique ability to kind of take this holistic view of how we think, function, and feel. So what I love about it is, though it does speak to behaviors, it's really dealing much more with how I feel and the motives behind those behaviors. And so it, 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 it has a unique ability to create pathways to deeper vulnerability. Vulnerability in some ways between me and God, not that God needs me to be vulnerable to know me, but for me to be able to feel more clear and vulnerable with God on who I am and, and knowing myself, but then also deep vulnerability between us uh, people so that I know things about how you feel and things are the motives of your heart that help me understand you better. And then from a personal perspective, the point of the Enneagram is not simply to give you information about yourself. It is to give us a version of our healthy self and a version of our unhealthy self and clarities on what that looks like so that we can recognize where we need some transformation and we can participate in that journey with God. The Enneagram really isn't about you helping yourself. Mm. It's about you recognizing where you need transforming and how God is going to engage in that. So uh, we're going to spend some time over this week and the next two weeks really walking through uh, the numbers themselves. Mm -hmm. There's nine numbers, one through nine. We're going to walk through them, talk about each one, not so much uh, exclusively in what they are, yeah but in how that then translates into our gospel journey, our spiritual formation, and our interactions with one another. Very excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were saying that, talking about the Enneagram, that the, it's not just another self-help tool. It's uh, almost a tool of exposure mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of who am I, God? Because in, our, in our, the busyness of our frenetic world, it's hard to really know ourselves. And I love the way what you just said reminded me of something John Calvin once said. He said, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God, which we know. We realize that in the rhythms of intimacy like scripture, uh, reading scripture, study, yep. those engagement pieces with God. A clarity of the gospel. Yeah, yeah yep. absolutely. But also of ourselves. Yep. 
that there are these two important pieces where we can know a lot about a lot of stuff about God. But if we don't know ourselves, we can end up in spaces of legalism or of or of self righteousness. Yep. But when we know ourselves, we just realize our desperate need for yep. Jesus. Yep. Um, and, and that's why I think this can be such a valuable tool for each and every one of us is that it can grow us to have greater self-awareness and also empathy for others. So Absolutely. as we get to it, I'm excited to journey through uh, these nine numbers so yeah. that we can not just know about another tool, but that we would know about ourselves and know Jesus more intimately, more fully. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to travel through the nine numbers over the next three weeks uh, what we've decided to do is take three numbers in each week mm-hmm. because um, the the uh, Enneagram divides the nine numbers into three groupings, three what we call triads. Okay. And so three numbers sit in a triad and then another three sit in a triad, another three sit in a triad, and they have some things in common. And so we'll travel through the numbers in their triads that way doing three at a time. Okay, so you're talking about triads now. So we talked about nine numbers and then three triads. What's a triad and okay. why should that matter? That's a, a great question. Um, last week, as we had said to you, really the primary things that matter with the Enneagram is to understand your number, to understand the wing on your number, because that's the kind of nine you'll be will depend on your wing or the kind of seven you are will depend on your wing. And then to understand uh, when I'm stressed, what number will I behave like in its negative form? And when I'm relaxed, what number will I behave like in its positive form? Those are the key things to know because that will help you utilize the Enneagram effectively for your own journey and your empathy for others. Then knowing the other numbers in general is helpful because you can have empathy for others. And then the other thing that I think becomes important to understand is the triads, not so much for an everyday engagement with the Enneagram, but just to kind of generally know I'm in this triad. So what does that mean? Uh, Each of of the uh, numbers are grouped into uh, a a, a pair of three. How do you say that? A a triad of three. A triad of three. There you go. A grouping of three. And and, and what what they have in common is the primary uh, way that they process and express information. So three numbers process and express information a certain way. Another three numbers, and they have that in common. So the first triad is the number eight, the number nine, and the number one. And they are what we call the gut triad, Mm -hmm. or the triad that functions out of collecting information, having a gut feeling or reaction, and then pushing it out. And their primary emotion is anger. Okay. So now when I say that, like take yeah. the number nine, which is the peacemaker, right? And you go, yeah. ang- anger. I, I don't feel like that, that makes That's any sense. The They're not yeah. angry people. Yeah. You'll understand in a second how that plays out because the way anger is experienced and expressed in each number is different. But their foundational emotion is going to be anger and their foundational way they process and express information is going to be by their gut. Yeah, instinctual. Instinctual. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Absolutely. So, for example... In the eight, nine, and one, which are the three numbers we're going to deal with today, actually, the eight expresses their anger externally. Mm -hmm. The nine ignores their anger and stuffs it internally. So forgets it is how they put it. And the one internalizes their Mm -hmm. anger and it turns into a stewing um, resentment. So a one is very controlled, never loses their temper, essentially, but internally they're maintaining control. A nine is like... I anger 
uh, they feel it, yeah. but they suffer it. And then an eight is a challenger, and they go out and they yeah. express it. So that's a triad. The second triad, the two, the three, and the four, they are what we call um, the triad of feelings, mm-hmm. um, and they are heart triad. Yeah. So they go by their heart, not their gut instinctual, but their heart, their feelings. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to take in information and express information by how they feel about things. But again, the way each number does it, very, very different in terms of the way they express their feelings. A two will express their feelings outward toward others, helper. A three will express their feelings by ignoring them, kind of like the nine. They don't do feelings real well. And so they're very much kind of put together a resume and put together a, because uh, um, they, they are the achiever. I'm going to go get this done. And then the fours internalize their feelings. Mm-hmm. They feel everything internally and feel a lot about themselves. Then the five, six, and seven, the last three numbers, that triad is the head triad. Um, and so they intellectualize things. They think through things very carefully. And their primary um, emotion is fear. Um, and so they kind of live in that space. So the the five, the six, and the seven are all going to process here, mm-hmm. um, but again, very, very differently. The five it processes internally. The, the six um, is um, uh, uh, they're, they're thinking about the worst case scenario around them all the yeah. time. And the seven uh, escapes any kind of pain or fear by optimism yeah. and uh, by uh, being busy with new adventures. Yeah. And so, but they all ultimately are, they, they're usually people that are thinking through what they're doing before they're doing. Not necessarily planners. Mm-hmm. There's but a difference. There's a difference yeah. between being a planner or always thinking before you mm-hmm. do something. Like you're, you're not going instinctually. You're not going with feelings. You are very uh, strategic, yeah. if you will, but in very different ways. So those are kind of the general triads. We'll get into them more as we get into each numbers. But for today, yeah. we're really going to spend some time in the first triad, the triad of gut or instinct. And so we're going to be dealing with the numbers eight, nine, and one. Okay. And we're going to travel through that. And the book that we talked about last week, The Road Back to You, this is how it unpacks the journey. Mm-hmm. The first number it deals with is eight and then nine and one because it does yeah. it in triads. Um, the books today that uh, are present in what we're going to bring to you guys in terms of each number, we've gotten a lot of this information from The Road Back to You. We've gotten a lot of this information from Jesus. I mean... Uh, the, the Enneagram and the Way of Jesus, is yep. that what it's yep, called? That's Enneagram and the Way of Jesus by A.J. A. Sherrill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gotten a lot of this from um, gos- uh, gospelenneagram.com. Yeah. Um, John, and we've, Fouché. uh, John Fouché's yeah. work. And we've yeah. gotten a lot of this from um, uh, Paragold, um, uh, Fellowship Paragold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they're a church that kind of did some initial work on this. And they got a lot of their stuff from the same books we just did. So we, we mentioned them because their summaries were helpful in giving us some idea on how to summarize. But those three books were primary material. Um, and so a lot of what you'll hear today, if you read those books, you're going to hear a lot of that repeated in those books. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we jump into our first triad, I did want to give some quick <coughs> shout-outs to those of you who are out on Facebook land listening in today taking time with us. Uh, We have Angela Trout and Scott White with us. Of course, we got Obi. He's so faithful to be just hanging out with us. Obi, what's up, buddy? Uh, Michelle. Keep that computer kind of, you you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Michelle Duran-Sanderson, Stephanie Navis, Josh Taylor, uh, Lenore Smith, Leslie Aziz, 
What's uh, up, guys? Great to see you all. And Jordan as well. So it great is to great have to here. have all of you guys here with us. Uh, so I hope that for all of you who are either listening in live right now or that are able to listen a little bit later on the podcast, that this would be something that would be of benefit, of great value yeah. to you. And that even if you're, maybe you know your number today and you're like, oh, eight, nine, and one, that's what we're talking about. Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a three. So therefore, I don't really need to listen. But the beauty is, is that, yeah. that as you understand the gospel and its implications on the life of the eight, nine, and one, you'll know how better to care for, empathize, and love those you're in relationship with every single day. So I would encourage you, have your ears tuned in, have your hearts ready yes. uh, as we begin to engage, starting with the number eight. eight. So, yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Danny just said. Uh, understand that as we travel through this, and we're going to kind of go through each of those three numbers today, um, and, and a lot of it, just so you know, like I'm going to be reading a fair amount, and here's why. This document that we've worked tirelessly to put together over the last number of months, Rick Bonner being the primary who's our discipleship pastor, and extracting information from all of those books. Like, I can't say it better than months and months of work of summarizing these things. So I'm not going to be like reading like this, but I'm going to be going back and forth a lot of this. So today, uh, where usually our lunch hour with Renault is a lot more interactive, I would suppose, with yeah. questions and things. Feel free to throw your questions our way or uh, a post on the, the feed, like where you resonate or what might be confusing. But it is going to be just a lot of content-driven stuff today, so we're going to kind of move yeah. through. That's the first thing you should know. The second thing you should know is this. We're not going through these numbers primarily today so that you know the number, though that will be a consequence of unpacking the number. What we're really going to be spending time on in each number is where does this number need to hear the gospel? Where does this number articulate and bring the gospel by who they are? How do we help this number? And how does this number yeah. help us? And what uh, for this number are some of the gospel truths, scriptural truths that they need us to be constantly bringing to their table? And what do they bring to our table? So a lot of this discussion is going to be like, here's the beauty of this number, and here's where they could use their community to, yeah. to prop them up. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's going to be critical all three weeks for you, if this interests you, to pay attention to each number, even if it has nothing to do with you, because this is about, at the end of the yeah. day, us knowing each other so that we can serve each other, build each other up, and ultimately be the body of Christ. If it's not for that purpose, then it's a self-help tool, which makes it pretty much useless. Yeah. And even to build on that, one way that uh, over the last few years of learning about Enneagram stuff, I've seen the Enneagram be used in a very unhelpful way, is we start weaponizing it. Yes, we talked oh, about that that last person week is too. such a three. Yes. So as we are diving <laughs> into that, just take that as a reminder. Uh, don't just go around typing everyone going, oh, they're such an eight or they're such a six or they're such a whatever, because each one of us get to image God uh, uniquely through the Enneagram. It, it, it exposes that. And there's, there's beauty with the true self and, and there's brokenness because all of us as part of planet death live with brokenness within yep, us. That's right. Uh, and the Enneagram, it helps us expose that. So Engage with this uh, with grace, with humility, uh, and with eyes of empathy. That's right. Yeah. And remember that the full person, the true full person, would be, uh, would have within them the positive characteristics of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. 
And Jesus is the full person. And the body of Christ that he resides in on this planet is us cumulatively. So we cannot, I cannot alone express and image God rightly. I, by definition, can only express and image God fully when I bring myself to the table, you bring yourself to the table, you bring yourself to the table, and the cumulative expression of us is the body of Christ. So uh, I'm bringing a particular part of the fullness of Christ to the table by being a seven, and each of us by being our number. And when we can really understand that about each other, this becomes truly beautiful and is no longer a tool for weapon, yeah. uh, uh, weapons attack. It's a tool for empathy, uh, for compassion, and for building each other up and serving each mm. other. So yeah. Yeah. time Thanks to so jump on in, go. man. Um, so the first, the first number that we're going to be talking about today is the number eight, uh, type eight. Um, and... Uh, I'm going to kind of sequence through each of these numbers in the same way. And feel free, Danny, mm-hmm. to interrupt me at any time if any of you guys have questions or whatever. So interrupt Danny, and then Danny will interrupt me, and then we'll kind of go from there. So uh, this person is called the Challenger uh, in general. So you'll find different names depending on the books you read. Uh, we kind of picked a name that uh, we landed on that kind of yeah. best described that. But the Challenger is who this a person is called. Here are some of the qualities that are going to be just true in this person. They are self-confident. They are decisive. They are willful. They are just. They generally are leaders Mm -hmm. and they are confrontational. So now uh, just a quick little thing, because this is going to happen with every number. Words in our language tend to have negative and positive connotations, right? All of these words can in any case be a negative or positive reality depending on how they're used. So leader, (gasps) positive connotation. Does that mean I'm not a leader if I'm a number four? No, no, no. This person just tends to be in the front of the crowd leading out. Mm -hmm. Confrontational, bully, no. Uh, Do do you know what it's going to take to stand up against injustice and the darkness of this planet? Do you know that people that have a struggle with confronting injustice and things will mean that that stuff is left alone. Our eights don't have any problem with that. They roll on into the darkness and confront it all day long. Now, in its negative form, they may be fairly confrontational when it isn't nearly as necessary. So each of these words, try to eliminate in your mind the natural tendency to go, that's a good word, Mm -hmm. that's a bad word. No, no, no. These are just realities. They're words. Self-confident, decisive, willful, just, leader, confrontational. Mm -hmm. That's going to, generally speaking, be in that eight category. So I'm going to just read this little paragraph here because it beautifully unpacks, I think, the personality of the eight. Type eights have a big and powerful personality. A big heart would be a great way of saying it. Their presence can be intense and commanding. They roll in. I mean, they're just rolling on, right? They endeavor to be strong, independent, straightforward, and assertive people who use their strength and influence to make the world a more just and fair place to live in for themselves and for others. They normally see issues and personalities in extremes, either black or white, right or wrong, true or false, friend or enemy. When healthy, eights can can steward their influence and power to serve the weak and the marginalized, for they have a very strong sense of justice. They empower and protect. They also move forward with self-assertiveness 
and take a take charge attitude and with the determination that make things happen. They are keepers of their word, principled, loyal, and honorable. They seek truth above all. They tend to build lifelong friendships and they base those relationships primarily on trust and commitment. Others follow them because of their character, strong presence, and protective nature. Though some may view their direct and blunt communication as intimidating. However, they are fearless um, and world changers when they marry their compassion and their boldness. Mm. So that is the beauty of the eight. I mean, you just kind of heard it. These, these, these people rolling. You can just hear the gospel wrapped into that paragraph, right? No wonder God made eights and put them in the body. Yeah, absolutely. And to that, and the eight has the opportunity to be an image bearer of God, of his power and protection. I mean, we worship a God who is not just sitting off in a corner wondering, oh man, I really hope these humans are going to figure it out. No, he is powerful. He is just. He is loving and his love is demonstrated in his protection of the weak, the vulnerable. Yes. We know that. We see yes. that throughout scripture, right? Yes. So then the eight comes in as an image bearer of God to be a reflection of his power and his protection. That's right. Uh, that's and, right. And that's the true self of the eight. That's now, right. Now, there's the realities of the false self that and we're going to be yes. getting into. And, and here's yeah. the thing, right? Uh, so, so this is a great example of what we, what we say when we say each number brings to the larger community a, um, a truth of the gospel that they will never have a struggle with. So the eights bring to the table this truth. We don't sit around while the world is dying. We go redeem it, right? I mean, that is gospel centrality. And where a number of the other numbers want to do that, but don't really think about it. And some of the numbers honestly don't want to do that because it's scary. The eights are going to come and remind us every day. Why, why, are we, why are we sitting around here while the world is dying? We're going to get out there and do something about oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was actually just talking to uh, one of my <coughs> friends who is an eight, and she was talking to me about the fact that, like, if you are in the battle, if you're in the trenches, you want an eight on your team. Yes, They're you the do. ones that are going to go, go do exactly that. Let's go conquer. There is injustice in the world. Yes. Like in our fight um, to redeem unredeemed spaces, sex trafficking, yeah. uh, vul- care for vulnerable children. Yep. If we don't have eights, man, yep. we might have good ideas, but nobody's going to say, let's charge yes. because the cause is just. That's right. And, and that's a beautiful, it. a beautiful, beautiful thing. thing. So... Eights tend to be energized by disagreement. Kind of funny. <laughs> love, love you, eights. Like, uh, the way we reach uh, a uh, consensus is by disagreeing at first. That's how the eight thinks, right? If we can stir the pot and get the disagreements out there, fight through it, no, then of course yeah. we'll land on resolution, right? So the eights kind of just, they thrive on disagreement. And they, um, and they are not fond of admitting, admitting that they're wrong. Um, or that they have any faults because the eight feels this deep need to want to be strong and need to be strong. Many remember growing up having been treated unfairly or taking advantage of as a child. These aren't always all true of all eights, but to survive, they felt the need to develop an image of strength and power, believing weakness and softness to be unacceptable. They must dominate in order to keep from being dominated. So that's where the unhealthy side of the eight comes in. Their underlying guilt stems from a feeling of not being good enough. They have a fear of being weak, vulnerable, powerless, and controlled. Therefore, their survival strategy uh, is to be powerful and take control. They have an intense uh, intensity and a lust for power. 
their lust for power is driven by their fear of being controlled. Um, but it is expressed in a lust for power. They have um, a bent toward anger, confrontation, and aggression, and they will throw their weight around if they deem it necessary. Though this may belittle those around them, eights really notice that they make other fe others feel that way. I have a number of friends that are eights, and they're often like, when, when someone tells them, like, you intimidate me, they're like, what are like you talking, talking about? about? Yeah. I'm not an intimidating person because they're so um, used to uh, being intimidated and standing up against them, they don't feel intimidated much. And so they're like, clearly, I don't intimidate because nothing intimidates me. And so it, it is kind of funny that they, they feel that way a lot. Um, when unhealthy, their pursuit of protection makes them demanding, intimidating, and confrontational. Eights have a natural mistrust of others until they prove themselves trustworthy. The honesty they often demand from others may not first be applied to themselves when they're in an unhealthy version yeah. of themselves. And then to finish it out, the difference between a one and an eight, which we'll talk about ones at the end of the triad, is this, that ones will reform a system from within. They'll do the, the work within to reform the system, whereas eights will be more inclined to attack the system until it changes or collapses. So those are eights. They come rolling in. We're going to fix this. It's wrong. Whereas the ones are more critical internally and trying to reform from the inside. Eights are, t uh, are actually more consumed with passion than they are with anger or rage. They're just very passionate people. Yeah. This passion is often on behalf of someone else. They follow their gut instincts. Many misinterpret the eight. They are actually more tender and compassionate than people perceive them to be. They are likely to be the most understood uh, type. Go ahead. So good. Uh, just within that one, they're, they're tender-hearted. Yes. Because they really are, out of the majority of the eights that I uh, have friendships or relationships with, one of the things that, uh, that has rung true for most of them that I had heard uh, from other Enneagram experts in the past is that eights, their tender hearts are just kind of covered up by this, this protective layer. That's right. Uh, but they get to express their tender hearts usually with two, two groups of, uh, of creation, uh, with dogs and with little children. Yeah. That they disarm, that they'll get on the ground, they'll play, that they'll play with their dog, that they just yes. love that vulnerability that yes. they're finally able to express with their pets yes. or with, yes. uh, with small children. Yes. So that just, that just exposes the fact that they're not... Um, that they're not hard and they're not heartless. No, yeah. They absolutely and, have tender and the, hearts. And the eights tend to be the people in our community that they're sitting there when you're sharing about an injustice or mission or whatever, and they're simultaneously angered and they want to cry, but they're not going to cry because they're so, but inside they're weeping. Like eights are just deeply compassionate and will drive to go save the day. And then finally, it just kind of says this, when unhealthy, uh, they can be accused of exploiting others and not respecting their personal dignity. However, when operating from a healthy posture, they restrain their strength and channel it in helpful directions. Eights will speak in imperatives. They are impatient with decisions. In other words, they want decisions made quickly. And they get irritated when others beat around the bush. For this is disrespectful to them. Yeah. Just get to the point. Say it right. No need to keep feelings in play. Let's just let's yeah. just move forward. So that's in general kind of the eight. So in a list form, mm -hmm. here's what it boils down to. In a healthy version as an eight. And remember, this is not to say, are you a healthy eight or an unhealthy eight? It's to say, where are you healthy? Where are you not? 
And now we know where to go and ask God to begin the transformation process. A healthy eight. They're strong, resilient, protective, self-confident, strong-willed, assertive, decisive, inspiring, empowering, just, compassionate, and direct. Wow. I want to be an eight, right? Unhealthy, forceful, insensitive, domineering, self-centered, emotional bulldozers, combative, vengeful, explosive, controlling, bullying, demanding, intimidating, overbearing, confrontational, overly aggressive. So if you're an eight, I promise you, you have stuff from both lists. And now the beautiful journey begins to begin to know that, realize that, and, and move toward yeah. health. Yeah, absolutely. And for the eight, the, the lie that the false self of the eight believes is I must be strong. I must create strength. I must go into protection mode. I must be my own savior. But see, that's where the gospel breaks through, right? Is that yes. the gospel it says that we can't save ourselves. We don't have enough in us to protect ourselves. Instead, it is from the strength of the one who is the perfection of this, right? Uh, Jesus, that we can actually regain trust in our lives. That his power and strength was on radical display as he hung on the cross. That's right. That was the definition of strength. That looks weak to the world, but that was the strength of self-sacrifice. And that is what the eight, if they rest in, if they rest in the beauty and the power of the gospel, the victorious power of Jesus, that they can start living more to the true self and less to the false self. And then their true strength becomes the reality by which they drive. The redemption of that. that. The core desire of the eight is to be in control and the core false belief or false narrative of the eight is it is not okay to be weak or vulnerable or to trust anyone Mm -hmm. because then you can be controlled. And the truth is Christ is in control and we are not. And so that is where... um, this beautiful new narrative begins. So how to best love the type eight? Now, everything I've just said is almost like the irrelevant information insofar as, okay, so you you know this person. How do we best love eights around us? Okay, this matters, this matters, right? Stand up for yourself and for me. Don't let me push you around. Like that sounds so weird, but what eights, eights are intimidating. And when you are willing to kind of just kind of say, if you want confrontation, that's cool. I'm happy to oblige. In other words, stand up for yourself. And an eight suddenly feels much safer with you because they love when you stand up for yourself. Associate my strength, confidence. I mean, appreciate my strength, my confidence, and my sense of justice. Let's tell the eights how thrilled we are that they have such strength and they care so much about justice because most eights feel in the world, especially women, Woman eights, I've talked to a number of eights who are women, and they've had to adapt themselves because in the world, a woman who's an eight, the world thinks of her as an overbearing, mean person. They have other words for that. And so a lot of the women who are eights have had to pretend not to be eights. When we can come alongside and say, your boldness, your strength is not considered overconfidence or trying to be uh, something, you know, it's actually wonderful. The eights deeply appreciate and it's that. Necessary. Necessary. Bring who you really yes, are. Bring to who you really team. are. Yeah, absolutely. I often speak in a direct and assertive way. The eight would say, please don't automatically assume that it is personal attack on you. That's how we help an eight. When an eight's being a direct, don't take it as personally. Let me know if I uh, if or when I wound you, I'm probably unaware of it. If an eight has hurt you, 
not like right there immediately, although sometimes just right there immediately. Eights are fine with you going, that was hurtful. Oh, sorry. Like most people, you say that, then that hurts them. Yeah. An eight doesn't get hurt by that. Yeah. Just say, look, that, that was overly assertive and hurtful. And the eight will go, man, so, sorry about that. Didn't mean it. Yeah, so. ordinarily the eight, they weren't paying attention to that. That yeah. wasn't the reality that they were living in. Yeah. They were trying to be hurtful or mean-spirited usually. Usually they were trying to solve a problem yep. and you just had an answer that wasn't what That's they right. were hoping for. So, and they were being direct. And, and then they were being direct with you. And you can honor them and respect them by being direct back to them. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Encourage me to relax and exercise so that I can deal with stress better. <laughs> yes. Acknowledge the con- contributions I make, but don't flatter me. It's don't want flattery. They just want you to say, I'm super grateful for him or her. They pushed us through this barrier or whatever. Yeah. Just, just do that. Um, ask... Um, ask me to listen to other points of view without, um, without assuming that I might not speak in accidentally. Yeah. Please note that I have a tender side beneath my strong exterior. Mm. Like it's just like, hello, I'm actually crying inside because I love these people or I love this thing that I want to go and save. Help me feel comfortable talking about my own problems. So draw that out of me. Back off when I'm angry. I mean, that's a helpful way to help an eight is just to back off a bit because they're going to keep pushing if you push and then come back around on the other side. Yeah. So yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, that's Meet me with it. some intensity because I love energy and a challenge. With eights, when you get to know an eight, roll in a little more bolder and bigger than you usually would. Let's go. Eights, yeah. Let's go. They're passionate. They like, they're Bring passionate. passion. Bring passion, yeah. baby. Yeah. Be honest, direct, and upfront with me. Mm-hmm. With eights, you don't want to be diplomatic. Just be straight up. Not because they don't like diplomacy, but because it's just helpful for them because they're not trying to figure out, like, what's the point here? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have um, on the eight, there's also a whole list of how eights can love others well. These resources that we've put together will be available soon. And so we're not going to go through all of that. What I really want to jump to right now uh, on the eight is simply this. Bible memory verses for type eights. That's good. These are things that can help with that gospel message that type eights type eights need to hear. So the gospel message they need to hear is when I am weak, then I'm strong in Christ. Okay. I can let go of the false idea that I must stand my ground and fight for control because Jesus is my protector and my strength. Since he is my strength, he is in control. I don't have to be. This frees me up to be vulnerable and to be able to boast in my weaknesses as much as in my strengths so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I do not have to be strong to be loved. I do not have to be strong to be loved. I do not have to be strong to be loved. I am controlled with the love of Christ. So here it is. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Micah 6, 8, James 5, 16, Colossians 1, 11 through 14, Proverbs 3, 5, Proverbs 27, 6. I'm not going to read them all. You can go read them. But those are some great verses for the eights to have. So... That is the eight um, and the beauty of the eight and the brutality of the eight and how they function. So if you are an eight or you know some eights, now you've got some space to go and really enjoy getting to know what that all means. That's good. That's good. Let's keep going on to the type nine. All right. Type nine. So the type nine is the peacemaker. Mm -hmm. So the challenger was the eight. They roll in and express their their gut and their... uh, their, 
their anger outwardly at the injustices of the world and the wrongness. The nine looks for peace. So they are peaceful, generally reassuring, complacent, and neglectful. So again, you think of some of these words as negative, but you'll, you'll see how they play out. Uh, they're sort of the, the chill people. You love being around them because they bring everything back to, hold on, why are we fighting? What on earth? Why are we fighting? They have the most uncanny ability to see all sides and to take all sides while trying to bring all sides together. Mm-hmm. Man, the, does the world not need yeah. a boatload of nines yeah. helping us yeah. come together? Absolutely, so. because they get to reflect to the world God's peace and oneness, because yeah. God is, is peace. He, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. That's right. And that is such a beautiful thing that they get to reflect into any relationship, any dialogue, especially any disagreement. When, an, when a nine is healthy, man, they are there to mediate. They make great judges. They can stand in the, in the gap with you and go, hey, I see. Did you know that this is actually what this person was saying? Yes. Oh, no, I had no clue. Yeah, here it is. And they can be that translator that helps bring yep. families and yep. communities into oneness yep. and peace. And isn't it cool? That when you look at the eight, you think about God's non-negotiable call to go and redeem the unredeemed things. But then you think of the nine and you think about God's non-negotiable call to be unified in all things. That they will know us Mm. by our love one for another. And we cannot do that well when we are constantly misunderstanding each other because we don't see each other because we're such different numbers. One of the things that the road back to you says about the nine that I love is that the nine is the only number that can genuinely actually embody all the other numbers because they can empathize so well with all the numbers. So the nine can feel the two, feel the eight, feel the six, feel the one, feel know them all. Whereas all of us other numbers, we pretty much feel us and we're not really sure what on earth these other uh, eight numbers yeah, are. Absolutely. The nine feels them all. Yeah. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they have unhindered connectivity with yeah. everyone. Yep. And they just have, oh man, such a beautiful quality they bring to relationships and communities. Yes. And so here's the ups and the downs of the Let's nine, go. right? Type nines value peace, harmony, unity, and serenity. Bringing people together and being at peace personally and interpersonally. Can't we just get along, typifies the type nine. Their bent is to not assert themselves out of fear of conflict. So their tendency is to go with the flow in a desire to avoid rocking the boat. However, nines tend to have an intuitive sense of how to resolve conflict, as well as the ability to see how things fit together and harmonize. They make great listeners and excellent mediators and counselors, having the ability to be objective and see all sides of an issue, incentivizing reconciliation. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I love nines already. They bring balance to their environment and calmness to situations with their warm and unassuming demeanor. They make others feel welcomed and accepted and are easy to get along with. What we see with the nine is what we get. There is no hidden agendas. They are even killed and rarely will we see a nine ex, um, experience extremes of emotions or, or express extremes of emotions. Yeah, express, yeah. They are absolutely beautiful creatures in this world of conflict and pain. I mean, yes. Hello, nines. Yeah. Many nines remember being overlooked and neglected as a child. Their voice didn't seem to matter. It seemed to them that others' interests and needs were more important than theirs. 
Some grew up in families that exhibited unhealthy patterns of dealing with conflict. They either swept it under the rug or dealt with it with anger or verbal physical assault. This created within the nine a conflict within themselves, a struggle to follow their own intuition, a hesitancy to be bold. Due to repressed anger, a nine may struggle with inner turmoil and passive-aggressive behaviors. They are often classified as being numb to the world or on autopilot, just kind of tracking mm-hmm. through. They also tend to be insecure and belittle themselves. Yeah. So, nines can be relationally negligent. Yeah. So what does that mean? A relationship, it sounds like with peacemakers, they're like always bringing everyone together. But they never want to go beyond just being okay with each other. So real relational engagement requires some hard stuff. So they will neglect all of that mm-hmm. for the sake of keeping the peace. Yeah. They will easily check out emotionally and relationally. When unhealthy, they will run from conflict and their defense strategy will be to shut down and withdraw, disengaging from others. That's, that's so good because we didn't really get to this with, um, specifically with the eight, but the eight, if, they had, if you were to define their conflict style, it would be peace breaker. When they're unhealthy, they are peace breakers. They uh, will go into something that is perfectly fine and they can shatter it to pieces. Uh, at, it's, they're most unhealthy, but then Christ brings us to redemption to be a peace maker, right? Uh, for the nine, they, I, I think it's interesting that they're usually referred to as the peacemaker, but their unhealthy conflict strategy is to be a peace, uh, a peacekeeper, right? Where they just want to keep the peace no matter what. Yeah. Don't rock Not the a peacemaker, boat. a peacekeeper, peace even at the cost yeah. of injustice and many other things relational, they just want to keep the peace. Yeah, absolutely. And even to um, speak into <coughs> Uh, just this concept of where you're going a little bit ago about that they struggle to, or they, they find it easy to empathize with other numbers. Uh, my friend Jordan uh, Boozy Cruz, who happens to be a nine, he just commented in saying, who, isn't, who defines himself as a nine, the only thing the nine can't feel is what it's like to not feel the other numbers. Yes. The only thing Jordan. the nine can't understand is how other numbers can't understand each other. The, the lack of empathy is like perplexing. How don't you guys get each other? Are you not speaking the same language? Yeah. And, and, but then internally, it's hard for them to shut off those because they're yeah. so easily mergers. They merge into all the other numbers. Yeah. So it can be hard so to So they know. lose themselves. Yeah. Where, do, where does somebody else's thought end and mind begin? Yeah. Where does their emotion end and mind begin? Yeah. That can be a difficult So nines, a lot nine. of times, you'll find nines to keep the peace. A silly example, but these are examples used in some of the books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, where do, you, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Um, so for nine, that's overwhelming because they're immediately thinking, well, where does everybody else want to go? I, I may have a preference, but that's not nearly as important as... And so then if a nine does say, well, maybe we'll do Chinese, and you go, ah, I don't know, great, we'll go to to wherever. So the nine doesn't know where their feeling stops and the other person's feeling begins. And it's very difficult for the nine to find themselves in the mix. And so they'll withdraw, uh, they'll disengage from others whenever they feel conflict. And in so doing, like you said, keep the peace, not make the peace. Mm -hmm. Um, They will lead to distracting themselves from their emotional needs and the needs of others. By inoculating, uh, by inoculating activities, things that will just be, they can drown themselves in, such as social media, TV, or solitary games, yeah. right? 
Uh, this creates guilt with them, which is the underlying emotion that they are trying to overcome. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, in, with that, like, because the primary sin of the nine can be sloth, Yes. That withdrawing, and it, they, nines can be very productive people, yeah. but at times they can either emotionally or physically withdraw themselves from a situation to, uh, to into themselves or into their, own, into their own mind because it's hard for them to even get there usually. And when the world is all chaos, yep. it's time to just withdraw, pack it in for yep. a little bit. Yep. And then in that withdrawal, because I then go sink into my spaces that are just inoculating activities, mm -hmm. I'm not productive. And so the nine can often find themselves um, seeming lazy. Yeah. They're not lazy people, no. but in their unhealthy yeah. version, that's what then comes out. And then they feel guilty that they're not getting done what needs to be done, and they're overwhelmed by that, and, and mm -hmm. so the cycle continues. Yeah. Nines will often have a difficult time discerning urgent tasks from those that are not. Therefore, Though their to-do do list may be long, they usually don't know what should be their first action item. So they do lots of things and get little done is mm. often the, the mm. way that the nine feels. Consequently, they may get to the end of the day and have left the most important tasks still to be done. And if an important task requires any version of conflict, it will remain undone for a long time. It might be wise for a nine who struggles with this lack of prioritization to establish regular meetings with a spiritual mentor who can help them discern some life decisions. Mm -hmm. Nines want true peace, peace of mind and inner stability. They want agreement and unity with everyone. This is almost always more important to them than developing their own opinion about a topic. In a similar vein, people can misinterpret a nine's silence on an issue as agreement when in reality they still may be undecided or very much disagree. This same non-committal mindset and desire for harmony will also cause them to focus on the needs and desires of others in order to make them happy at the cost of their own. Twos and nines can look a lot alike in that they both have the propensity to go with the flow and assist others not desiring to be the pace setter. Since nines can see all sides on all issues, they will sometimes see them all as valid. Therefore, they have a hard time placing any importance on their own viewpoint, looking a lot like the two. Yeah. Yeah, and for, for the nine, man, being, having a heart that seeks after peace in a world that is anything but peaceful, <coughs> my heart goes out to you. And the beauty of the gospel for the nine, as Paul writes it in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Like, what beautiful, empowering news is that? That while we live in this chaotic world where peace is difficult on the best of days. Yes. I mean, go to, go to anywhere at Walt Disney World and try to find a peaceful day. Yeah. Like, it's chaos. It can be magical and chaos at the same time. But through Christ, lasting peace is finally available. And I, and I would pray for all of you who may identify as a nine, that that would be your heart's longing and you would find that in Jesus. In Jesus, that's right. Yeah. So for the nine, the healthy list. Here's what a nine is going to look like in their healthiest form. And as they become more and more healthy and content in Christ, this is what will happen. Easy going, content, love that, peaceful, mm. 
receptive, empathetic, diplomatic, reassuring, patient, down-to-earth, open-minded, accepting, non-judgmental, harmonious, and unassuming. Beautiful. Man, like, I want to hang out with nines, right? Mm -hmm. Unhealthy nines at their worst. Indifferent, spaced out, stubborn, passive-aggressive, detached, forgetful, apathetic, unassertive, control through being a victim, uncommitted, easily overwhelmed, avoids all conflict, resigned, and overly accommodating. So the doormat. And that's the nine in an unhealthy version. And again, nines will have some of each of their things on the list like every other number. So at the end of the day, as Danny said before, slothfulness is kind of where the nine tends to, in, its un, in, in his or her unhealthy form, land. Not laziness, there's a difference. Slothfulness, I just do nothing because I'm withdrawn and escaping. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what they want uh, is to be comfortable and settled mm-hmm. in a world that doesn't afford you much comfort and settling. And so we have to find our comfort in Christ and our settling in Christ, not in circumstances. And that is the journey for the nine. Um, the nine's belief system, false narrative. This is the false narrative of the nine. My presence and voice don't matter. It's not okay to be bold and assert myself. Now, that's not a conscious belief. It's how the nine feels. I don't want to disrupt. And so at the end of the day, my defense mechanism is I must get along. Um, I must go along and get along. Yeah. I must go along and get along. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's where the nine type struggles. Yeah. That's really good. Um, we do have 10 minutes left in our time together. I'd love okay. for us to get onto the ones soon um, so that we, way we can honor our friends who are ones here as well. Um, but if you want to touch on any of the stuff as far as empathy on how we relate to them. Or yes. So on the nine, there. let me read this list and yeah. then we'll jump to the one. Here's how you can love a type nine. Very simply. Appreciate my kindness, gentleness, and patience. Don't rush me, but instead be patient with me. Don't, don't look for a decision immediately because otherwise I will just not give you one, right? Tell me that my presence matters. Listen to me until I'm finished talking. You interrupt a nine, they stop because that's it. Give me a compliment, a hug, and other forms of attention. Focus on what I've got done and not what I didn't get done. That's very helpful. I rebel under pressure nagging, complaining, or pushy commands. Therefore, inspire me with statements such as, would you like to, or would it help you if I? Understand that I often interpret requests as indictments. <laughs> so don't do something that I, uh, that I didn't do or something that I was supposed to do. Gently encourage me and set and prioritize goals to get things done or help me set them. Encourage me to articulate my frustrations and grievances as opposed to sweeping them under the rug. Help me to keep my environment peaceful and help me to find out what to do or how I feel by asking clarifying questions. And then finally, at the end of the day for the nine, here are some verses you should remember. Ephesians 2, uh, 14, Philippians 4, 7 through 9, Romans 5, 1, Ephesians 4, 15, Colossians 1, 20. Joshua 1, 8 through 9, because that's the gospel message you should hear. My peace and comfort are found in Jesus, not in my circumstances or others 
expectations of me. There it is. So that is the nine. The nine is awesome. great stuff. Nines, you are loved. You are loved. We love you. And we need to hear from you because you have great things to say. And we're sorry when we interrupt and we cause you not to say them. The type one, the uh, the last of the triad. Uh, This is the reformer. Um, My wife loves that name because she's a one. And the reformer is just a perfect articulation of what the one does. They see what is wrong with the world and they make it better. And when you're someone that sees what is wrong with the world all the time, you might be misinterpreted as someone who is critical and judgmental. But you are just pointing out very rightly what is wrong so it can be fixed. The unhealthy version of that, not so healthy. The healthy version, so beautiful like every other number. So the good person, the reformer, here are some words. Principled purposeful, idealist, independent, perfectionist, critical. So those are the one words. And again, not all those words are necessarily good or bad. No, they just, they're words. They're descriptive. Yeah. Uh, Someone who's being productively critical is one of the most helpful things we can have. Very helpful. Otherwise everything stays mediocre. Yeah. You're building bridges. My wife is a one. Yeah. And I, I, with no joking whatsoever, tell people in regularity, Uh, as a seven who dreams things up and is able to inspire those things to start. I'm a starter. The world I have the privilege of living in, in the ministry of Mosaic, the Oxum Coffee story, the Love Made Visible story, all the things I get to do, the reason they're not mediocre and didn't just shoot up like a firework, peter out and die, is because I am married to a one who was unwilling to have those things peter out and die or be mediocre And they have become the exceptional spaces they are to the body of Christ now because of the beauty of the one. So here we are. Type ones are are attached to and value goodness. Isn't that beautiful? They just want things to be good and right. I mean, wow. They work constantly to improve themselves and the world around them for they see the world's brokenness all too clearly. They believe life is about doing their best setting high standards and goals, and then living up to them. This applies across the board. They tend to follow the rules, take responsibility, and do everything with excellence. They are hard workers who are diligent and reliable. Ones can be trusted to do the job right. They are thorough and attentive to details. They also expect the same from others. Ones will do the right thing. Knowing are known for their integrity, principles, and and ideals, They value honesty, objectivity, and fairness. They are adept at discerning wrong from right and will make adjustments when things uh, are awry. Sincere and conscientious, they are aware of what is appropriate and will strive for respect. They do what they do to make the world a better place. Ones do not see themselves as critical. They are simply trying to help everyone be a better person. Uh, Many of them genuinely believe their way is the only right way to see and do things. They don't do it because they think they're right. They just look and they go, of of course this is the right way because I have seen every wrong way, including all the other ways that were expressed by all the other numbers, Mm -hmm. and I've got the right way. And therefore, they feel justified in being judgmental and critical to others. However, they are usually not trying to come off that way. For this reason, ones sometimes have trouble delegating tasks 
they think they are the only ones who know how to do it correctly. Mm. I love that. So ones are convinced that life is often difficult and that ease is something someone earns. Mm. Ones understand the concept of delayed gratification more than others. They will normally block their own desires and simply focus on doing things right or the right things. They f can feel anger when they witness the rest of the world chasing their desires and breaking all the rules, hmm. having a great time doing it and not getting caught. It's unfair. Ones can really get upset when they feel they are having to additionally pick up the slack of others because of their irresponsibility. Many ones have a difficult time relaxing, even on vacation, because there is always something that needs to be done. They have a propensity to compare themselves to others. Some ones are prone to procrastination out of fear of doing it wrong or making a mistake. They can have a difficult time forgiving others and themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And the, so, the one they get to bring into any story they go into, the goodness of God, the rightness of God. In the beginning, everything was created perfectly. But then sin and brokenness entered into the reality of our world. That's right. And since then, and since then, Christ entered into the story to bring rightness and redemption because the one can so easily focus on, I must be perfect with that critical, that, the, the critical voice in their head that's saying something else is out of place. That's right. That that's exhaustion. Right. And Christ comes in and brings redemption even into those spaces. Yep. One of the things that I, I realized um, with my wife that, that really shaped the way I understood the one who is constantly correcting, constantly pointing out flaws, constantly pointing out what's wrong. And you kind of have that feeling like, oh my is goodness, the, the perfectionist, enough, right? Enough. Yeah. The perfectionist yeah. Yeah. versus the reformer. And they're really the same thing. But what, what I came to realize is um, there is this um, uh, YouTube um, uh, set of songs, which by the way, and we'll mention these in the next two weeks again, it's called Sleeping at Last. This, this guy, this, this guy or team, um, wrote a song for each of the numbers and then put a podcast together as to how he wrote the song and why. There is no greater way to understand the other numbers deeply than to listen to all the numbers. I love the songs. And when I listened to the song on the one, I realized in that song that for the one, they so deeply desire for the world to be right and good because isn't that what Christ came to do, to make the world right and good? But their plight is that every imperfection is alive to them. So imagine if you're sitting and think of everything as black and white, but all the things in color or, that are moving are the imperfections, and you're supposed to sit there and ignore them. <laughs> How do you ignore the things that are moving and in color? So for a one, if it's not as it should be, it's moving and in color, and everything that's as it should be is dead still in black and white. And I'm supposed to sit there and pretend I don't see it all. So that's why ones often say, my wife will say this to me a lot. She'll say two or three things that you know, are out of place. And then I'll say, oh my gosh, you just always see what's wrong. And she goes, do you know how many things in my head I've chosen not to tell you? And then I want to tell her, that that's escape. not helpful. <laughs> that I, not only are you telling me the things you see that are wrong, but I now know in your head there's another whole list of things you've not told me. But here's, here's what Brooke is trying to say to me. Renaud, I see, unwillingly, I see what is not as it should be. And I'm trying to ignore as much of it as possible. But I just can't all the time. But their self-criticism 
exceeds their criticism of everyone else a million times over. So a one wakes up with a voice that her saying, you're not good enough. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's rough. And for the one, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. And uh, you mentioned the sleeping at last song. My favorite line in that song, one, is and to find out grace requires nothing of me. And that's what right. a beautiful thing for the one to <clears throat> meditate on, to ruminate on, to allow to be internalized. I don't have to be more. I don't have to do more. I can rest in the rightness, in the righteousness right. of Jesus alone. That's right. So beautiful. We, um, let me take this minute and a half we have go. and do this with the one, right? When ones are healthy, they live with conviction and are bold and courageous, willing to take a stand and sacrifice themselves what is right, keeping the mission of God moving forward. They are exceptionally loyal and committed to helping others when uh, uh, become their very best. They are sensible, responsible, ethical, self-disciplined, hardworking, just, fair, tolerant of failure, both in themselves and others, and understand grace well when they're healthy. So here's the healthy list. Passionate, principled, righteous, just, idealistic, ethical, strives for excellence, works for the good of all, orderly, uh, persevering, grace-driven, unhealthy, angry, legalistic, rigid, self-righteous, has to be right, judgmental, intolerant, dogmatic, perfectionist, criticizes others and self, obsessive, compulsive, impatient, and guilt-driven. So for the one, their false narrative, it's not okay to make mistakes. Mm. I am worthy of love and approval when I am good, right, and perfect. People and things are either perfect or wrong. Those are the two options. I must be good enough, I must be perfect, I have to make this better. So the ones, the gospel message that they need to hear yeah. is in Romans 5.8, Matthew 5.48, Matthew 19.26, John 16.33. God loves me for who I am and not for how good I am. He loves me even when he knows my sin and my imperfections. In Christ, I am fully known and still fully loved. So... If for those of you hanging out or if you can watch the podcast afterwards, here's the final list. How to best love a type one. Make sure you take your share of responsibilities. Guys, just come alongside a one and do what you're asked to do so I don't have to end up with all the work. That's what a one would want from you. I'm very hard on myself, so reassure me often and tell me that I'm doing a good job. Tell me that you still love and appreciate me even when I get angry. That's very helpful. Tell me when you value my advice. Be as fair and considerate as I try to be. Help me name and tell the truth about my anger and fears. First, listen to my worries and concerns, then help me lighten up and have fun. You can't tell a, a one to have fun when everything in the room isn't as mess. it should be. Yeah, yeah. Listen to them, acknowledge that you've heard them, acknowledge that we're gonna do something about it at some point, and then help them to have fun. Make me take vacations. I love that. Value my ethics and high standards. Don't see them as critical. Demonstrate to me that you are a loyal and trustworthy friend whenever you can. Be mindful that I can pick up on the slightest negative remark. Remind me that I don't have to be perfect to be loved, respected, or appreciated. And show me understanding when I mess up. So that is the three numbers, eight, nine, and one. Eights, nines, and ones. We can't do life without you. Eights, nines, and ones, we can't see the gospel move forward without you. 
eights, nines, and ones. We will not see the world reformed, the injustices undone, and unity realized without you. And when you're unhealthy, you disrupt us quite a bit. So that's okay because, and I say us because I'm not any one of those numbers, but at the end of the day, the gospel journey now is how we learn to love our eights, nines, and ones well, how they learn to love us well by engaging in their clarity of who Christ is and the beauty of the gospel. And as we all become more healthy, we cumulatively represent the body of Christ beautifully. That's beautiful. Yeah. Eights, nines, and ones without the love, the power, the unity, the reform that you bring, the story of Mosaic would be nowhere nearly as beautiful as, no way. as it is. There's just no way. So to all of you, wherever you identify, or if you don't currently have a number that you currently know about, uh, thanks for Thanks for hanging out with us for this lunch hour. It's been great to have all of you tuning in for this. Remember the next two weeks, we will be stepping into the other two triads. So don't miss out. We'll be here same time, yep. same place, and always, and remember, always on the podcast. Sleeping at last, go listen to the songs. They're awesome. And um, gospelenneagram.com if you want to take the test. It's the best place and to get some great information on these numbers. Yeah, And um, other than that, go engage in the wonderful spiritual journey that Christ has afforded us by his redemption. And remember that all of this is about one thing, us seeing where we need to change our narrative to a gospel narrative from a self-induced narrative so that we can live in Christ uh, in, the, in the way that he's designed us to. So... It's been good to be with you guys. Thanks for hanging out, everyone. Have a great week.